So when I was a teenager and I wanted to take the car out with some friends, my parents would ask me two questions without fail. Uh, the first question was, where are you going? But the second question, you can probably guess what it is, was, who's going with you? Who's riding in the car with you? Now, now, answering that second question was kind of tricky because I wanted to be honest, I really did, but I also didn't want to jeopardize my chance to have some fun with my friends in my parents' car. And so maybe I wouldn't tell them everybody who was going to be in the car with me. I would tell them the names of the kids that I knew they liked. So I'd be like, oh, well, Steve's going to be there, right? Uh, you like him. And then like good, smart parents that they are, they would always ask about specific kids. Will John be there? Will there be any girls in the car? Now, as a teenager, I hated those questions. But today, as a father of a teenager, I appreciate those questions. I love those questions. I myself stand in the tradition of my family, and I ask all of those questions. Because here's what I now know as an adult that I didn't know as a teenager. What I now know is that who is in the car with you affects how you drive the car. Who is riding with you affects how the journey goes. It affects the focus of the driver. It affects the destination that's in mind of the driver, all the distractions of the driver. Who is with you affects how you journey. Now, the reason I bring that up is because today we're continuing this series that we've been in called Warning Signs. We're looking at the, the gifts, uh, the graces, really, that God gives to us in letting us know that we might be headed towards trouble, that we might be headed towards difficulty in our personal or spiritual lives. God is kind enough to us to give us warning signs that, look, if you continue in this particular pattern or in this particular manner, things may not go well for you. And this week, we're talking about a warning sign that, that reminds me of my teenage years. The warning sign is this. You've got the car packed with all the wrong people. You have filled your life with a whole bunch of unhelpful, maybe fun, but unhelpful influences. And if your life is full of unhelpful, and in some cases really unhealthy and toxic influences, that's a warning sign because it will affect the journey that you take. You know, one of the things we lose sight of is just how much power other people have over us. You know, we like to think that, that our friends and family, they're like these they're like these little things that accentuate our life. But the truth is, the people you surround yourself with drive your life and shape your life in profound ways. I mean, we just heard that from Proverbs. So let me read this again. Proverbs chapter 13. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But a companion of fools will suffer harm. Another way to put it is this. I've heard this quote. I don't know who it's attributed to, but I'm sure you've heard it too. It goes like this. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The people we surround ourselves with shape the way we live our lives. Who is in the car with you shapes how you journey and where you go. And the reason this is important for followers of Jesus is because, as Paul reminds us in the text we've been looking at, which is Ephesians 5 and 5 and 6, uh, what Paul reminds us of is that if you wish to follow after Jesus, then some people who follow Jesus need to be in the car with you. Like, if you want the destination to be focused on God at all, 
If you want the destination to be one of pursuing after and knowing at a deeper and deeper level the things of God, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, if you want it to be about him at all, then you need like some other people in the car with you on the journey who are followers of Jesus like you. So so Ephesians 5, look again at what Paul has to say. Remember, the context is him trying to, to help these early Christians Heed the warning signs, stay engaged in this life of faithfully following after Jesus. And look at what he says. Starting in verse 15, he says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Twice in those six verses, Paul uses the phrase, one another. You know, he assumes that the individual life of following Jesus is going to be done with other followers of Jesus. The life of faith is a communal reality. It's a one another reality. You you can't expect to follow after the things of God and to be filled with the things of God if You're the only Christian in your car. You need other people who share your faith going along with you. Now, the question you might be asking is this, right? I'm following with you, Matt, but but how do I know if I've got the right people in the car with me? I mean, I look around, I see some good people, I see some family, see some friends, see some weirdos, but mostly I see good people. (laughs) How do I know that I've got the right people with me? Because let's be honest, Sometimes you can have really bad people with you. You can have some really unhealthy, really toxic people with you. See, it's not just about having more of the, the right people, those who can influence you in the things of God and following after Jesus, but it's also being aware, like, if you have some really truly unhealthy people with you. Like, like how do you spot those people, and what do you do about it? Uh, so before we talk about getting more followers of Jesus, like, in your life, let, let's talk a bit about about how to spot some of the unhealthy and, and really honestly, it's more than unhealthy. It's, it's toxic and destructive people in your life. That for some of us, they have too prominent of a place on our journey and their influence is a little too strong. Here's a couple of characteristics of, of really unhealthy people that you need to be aware of. And some of these may ring a bell for you. Uh, number one, number one, Uh, Unhealthy people enable your immaturity. We all have weak spots in our character. You have weak spots in your character. I have weak spots in my character. And and unhealthy people, they bring out and they encourage the worst in you. And if you want to know who those people might be, just ask the other people around you who know you and love you, and they will tell you who brings out the worst in you. Unhealthy people, they encourage your immaturity. Second, unhealthy people, toxic people, they demonize diversity. In particular, diversity of thinking. You see, what they want is to have you all to themselves. And they feel threatened by people who think differently or act differently, who, who, might, who might take a place of greater priority in your life. And so what they do is that they demonize people who don't think and act like they do and how they want you to think and act. And so they make it really hard to have other people who are different from them in your life. They demonize diversity. The third thing is that really unhealthy people, uh, for followers of Jesus, 
they stifle your spirituality. Your faith in Jesus, your desire to make that prominent in your life and have it mold and shape how you live your life, it gets stifled, it gets hindered, it takes a really far back seat at the back of a suburban when you're with these particular people. When you're with them, this thing that you say is so important to you falls way down the list of priorities. They stifle your spirituality. And then lastly, they, they frustrate your family. Now, now, I get it that our families may have unique problems and toxicities of their own. But for the most part, your family and your close network of friends, they're the ones who know you the best and they love you the most. And they're going to be the ones who spot unhealthiness. And they're going to call it out. And chances are, if you've got some really unhealthy people in your life that have too prominent of a place, too prominent of an influence, people in your life like a parent, a godparent, a, a lifelong friend, a sibling, a spouse, they have spoken up about it, and you've just chosen to ignore it, and you should listen to them. Really unhealthy people, they enable your immaturity, they demonize diversity, they stifle your spirituality, and they frustrate your family. If you've got people like that in your life, that is a loud, glaring warning sign. And don't fool yourself thinking that they have no influence over you. Because as we've read in the scriptures already, who you surround yourself with shapes how you journey in this life. And what's interesting about, about toxic and unhealthy people, especially in today's day and age, is that I believe we live in a moment culturally that elevates the influence of really unhealthy people in our lives. Because we live in a day and age that celebrates two things that unhealthy people feast off of. Uh, we live in a day that, that celebrates hedonism and that celebrates ideological tribalism. So, so hedonism is the philosophy that says that which causes an individual person pleasure is the highest good. So if, if it causes you pleasure, even if the rest of the world says, whoa, that's weird, but if it causes you pleasure, then it is of the highest good. And we live in a culture that celebrates that. If it feels good, do it. Right. Uh, that's hedonism. And then ideological tribalism is this encouragement that we experience in our culture to surround yourself with a closed community of like-minded people. Now, being around like-minded people is good. It's ultimately what I'm going to talk about today, being surrounded by the church. But a closed community of like-minded people that feels empowered to excommunicate anybody who doesn't agree or conform to your ideology. Unhealthy people feast off of those two things because unhealthy people like to look at your weak spots. And they say, you know what? You enjoy that, I'll support you. They like to look at your weak spots and say, you know what? You deserve that. You need that. I'll support that. Because they enable your unhealth and immaturity. Likewise, they will use ideological tribalism to find a way to keep you to themselves. And they'll encourage you to do things like take take issues in the culture, some important, some trivial. They take things like vaccines or politics or which television show you're streaming or which baseball team you root for, and they will encourage you to create a closed community that always happens to include them, a closed community around that idea, and for you to feel justified in pushing anybody who doesn't agree with you out. Unhealthy people feast on this stuff. And you've seen it in your own life. We all know somebody who, who has like faltered or fallen away in their faith 
because they feel like it gets in the way of them indulging something that, that gives them some pleasure. Or we know somebody who has pushed away people who love them because they've gone all in on some divisive idea that they're obsessed with online. And they're so obsessed with it that they're willing to push friends and family who love them but don't agree with them away and act as if they don't exist. That's what unhealthy people do. And if you have unhealthy people in your life encouraging indulgence or encouraging that tribalism that pushes important people away or who demonize diversity or who purposely stifle your spirituality or who enable all the things that trusted people tell you are not healthy for you, then those are warning signs, warning signs. Because when when people do things like push family away or they indulge something that's ultimately destructive, listen, it never happens in isolation. It's always because there are one or more people around them in their vehicle, in their life, cheering them on, telling them it's okay. Who you surround yourself with shapes the journey that you take. Now, suppose you're listening to me and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Matt, well, This resonates with me. I probably don't have the right mix or balance of people in my life. I'm not totally satisfied with the way in which my journey in life is going, and and I'm not feeling all that great about the destination. And you're right. It probably has something to do with some of the people that I've surrounded myself with. So, So then what do I do, Matt? What do I do? Well, the first thing I would say is this. Uh, If you're here and you're thinking that and you're a baptized child of God, I would say, first, remember the promises of Jesus Christ that are true for you. And the first promise is that Christ, by virtue of your belief and your baptism, Christ is at the head of your family, and he's the first on your friend list, and he is in your life. You may have relegated him to the very back seat. You may have forgotten that he's in the car, but by virtue of your belief and your baptism, he is with you, he is yours. And remember... Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Jesus Christ is still your friend and he's the primary person in control of your future. So your future is one of forgiveness. Your future is one of life. Your future is one of eternity. That is your future. I would encourage you to give him a more prominent place. But if Jesus is in your life, if he's claimed your life, then your future is secure. Remember that. Remember that. But also remember this other promise that he's given to you. He's given you a better community. He's made you a part of a body of believers. And before you consider kicking anybody out of your life because they're a bad influence or putting up some really firm boundaries around people, I think the first thing that you should do is say to yourself, I need to invite more people from the body of Christ into my life. That's the primary thing. Invite more people from the body of Christ into your life. Invite them along for the ride. Now, here's what this looks like. Look again at chapter 5, verse 21. Paul says this. He says, in your life of following after Jesus, done with one another, he says, be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, that's a strange turn of phrase, be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But here's what it means. Paul's expectation is that you filled your car with some other followers of Jesus and that you give deference to these other followers of Jesus that you don't give to other friends, to other family even. You, you place yourself under their influence. 
You invite their wisdom to inform you, their experience to shape you, their truth to convict you. You submit to one another and you say, I want you, fellow believer, to have influence over me because I know that who I ride with will influence me, but I want to be purposeful with you in this journey. I want you to influence me. And Paul says you do this out of reverence for Christ. And what he means is when you recognize that who you travel with influences you, and then you purposely reach out to the other believers and say, I want you to influence me. You are appreciating the gift of being in God's family that Christ gives to you because you're making use of it. And you are respecting Jesus who gave you this gift because there's real power in it and he wants you to experience it. So you invite other believers into the company of your car. Maybe you promote them from the back to the front seat so they can be right in your ear so that they might have a more prominent voice. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, you might be thinking, Matt, the last thing I need in my life are more church people. Because, like, don't get me wrong, we're all forgiven children of God, but some of the church people are awful. Like, I get it. Don't judge every Christian by your weird aunt who's obsessed with Jesus who posts nothing but crazy Jesus memes on Facebook. We're not all like that, all right? The Lord loves her, but you don't have to be her best friend. But there is profound benefit of drinking deeply from the blessings that come from the church. Let let me make the case for you really quick. Here are three things that you can get from the body of believers if, if, you, if you prioritize them and lean into them into this journey that, that you really can't experience in such fullness in any other setting. And, and those three things are this. It's, it's diversity, it's intimacy, and it's the divine power of God. That, that first point, diversity. The church is the most diverse company of people that history has ever known. When you look at the church, capital C church, on a global and eternal scale, it is the most diverse community of believers that has ever, ever been assembled at all. Because what binds us together is the one thing that every human being needs. You see, the church isn't built along racial lines or socioeconomic lines. It's not built upon you know, niche cultural interests or political lines. At least it should not be. The thing that builds the church is this one thing that binds every human being together, whether you're a baby or a billionaire. And the one thing that binds everybody together is our collective need for the grace and mercy of God that comes through Jesus Christ. Whether you're rich, you're poor, you're black, you're white, we we all have that. We all need that. And that's what enables us to to come into this place and to, to share this room together and sit next to one another as people who, who may not in any other setting ever be together. It's what enables us to worship together and to study together and to share parts of our life together and to call ourselves brothers and sisters. And if you reach out for the wisdom and the insight and the experience of the people around you in the body of Christ, there is a diversity of thought, a diversity of experience, a diversity of wisdom that you simply will not find anywhere else. So, so take it. The other piece is is intimacy. And what I mean by that is in this place, when you walk through the doors of God's church, 
No matter who you walk in next to, you know one thing, at least one thing about that person. Uh, What you know about that person is that they're a damnable, awful sinner, just like you, and just like me, because that's why I'm here, and I know that's why you're here. And yet the beautiful thing is, like, even though you know that about me, like, that I'm the worst, and that I know that about you, like, you're awful, you're still going to love me. And, like, I'm going to treat you with respect, and you're going to treat me with dignity, and we're going we're to treat each other as, as brothers and sisters worthy of love and respect, even though we know that by virtue of just being here, I'm terrible. And so are you. And yet we're going to love each other. And that, that is the definition of intimacy, to be vulnerably exposed, yet accepted. And that's what every human heart longs for. And that experience of being seen, but wanted, transforms you. But then there's also, like, the power of God. That Jesus has promised to be at work in and through these people. Like, he's going to speak his word of forgiveness to you that actually forgives you and changes you through these people. And he's going to convict you of the dumb things you're doing and the good things you should do, like, through the truth of these people. He's going to wrap his arms around you in the aftermath of tragedy through these people. He's going to be with you on this journey through these profoundly imperfect people. That's his promise. Now, on a, on a pretty regular basis, you know, someone will say to me, Pastor Matt, I, I wish God was more, more active in my life. I wish I could see him at work more clearly in my life. I wish I felt him and experienced him more regularly and more deeply in my life. And I understand that question, but, but here's, here's the tough truth I have to share with you, that very often, those same people who say to me, I want to experience God more in my life, I want to be more focused on the things of Jesus, I want it to be more real to me, those same people didn't show up to a Bible study when it launched last week. Those same people come to this place with incredible irregularity. Those same people didn't tell us. Didn't tell us when the cancer came back. They they didn't tell us when the job was lost. How do you think this is supposed to work? Like, if if you want to experience... Jesus in your life. Like the the ending is secure, but along the journey, if you want to experience the power and the presence and the person of Jesus in your life, like you he's he's told you where he is. It's with these people. You, you, You have to invite them and welcome them into your car. You have to make space for them. You have to promote them to the front. You have to want them to be there. And that's how it's experienced. So again, you might be following with me going, all right, Matt, all right, all right. If I need more Jesus in my life and I want my, my path to be marked with more of him, 
I need more of his people, as imperfect as we all are, I need more of them in a more prominent position in my life. So, like, where do I start with that? Well, we're not talking rocket science. Like, you know, get to know the person down the pew that you've been sitting next to for two years. <laughs> There's a new coffee shop around the corner. Like, go hang out with them. Ta-da! Friends. Or, you know, like, come to a class, like, serve, and, like, as you're in the class or as you're serving, like, look over at the person and be like, so how long have you been here? You want to be friends? Let's be friends. Like, that's how it works. Like, pretend you're a five-year-old. You know how five-year-olds make friends? Like, you like Superman? I like Superman. We're friends forever! And then you just pretend like it's all your friends. That's how friends are made. It's not hard. But if you really want to do this, I would encourage you to ask a particular question and then act upon the answer. Here's the question I would encourage you, if you really want to dive into this, I would encourage you to ask this question. Who has a life that I respect and a faith that we share? As you, as you scan the horizon of your life and you look at the different faces, who has some things about their life that you respect but also shares your faith in Jesus. Like, they don't have to be like, like the rock star Christian, like whatever that is. But like, you know that, that they're a baptized, forgiven child of God, like you are trying to figure it out, that their heart is holding out for forgiveness in Jesus. Like, you know that about them. But then they also have these things in their life that you respect. They don't have to be like major things. It could be small things. It could be like, man, I respect how their kids have turned out. I, I respect how they've done their work in the professional world and not become a total jerk. I respect how they've managed their resources and their finances. I respect how they carry themselves under pressure in a world where everybody else's hair is on fire. Like, I respect this about them. Who around you has things that you respect, but also a faith that you share? And then here's what you do. You submit to them. Now, I know that sounds strange, but here's what I mean. What I mean is, what Paul means is, you engage with them, you reach out to them, you connect with them, and then you, you share with them. Look, there's this thing about you that I really respect. Like, I love how, like, your kids are grown, but they don't hate you. How did that happen? Like, what did you do? Like, they actually want to be around you. I don't want to be around my parents. How, like, how did that happen? Like, I respect this about you. And I, can we talk about that? And, and, and I trust you. I trust you because of this faith that we share. And then you lean into that. There's a fancy churchy word for that. It's called discipleship. Where you submit to one another and say, there's something about you that can shape me as I follow Jesus. And can we make that happen? That's where it gets real. I'll close with this. Uh, Susan Pinker is a social scientist. And in 2017, she released the findings of a study that she did about the, the small island off of Italy known as Sardinia. She did a study over multiple years on this island of Sardinia. She, she studied it because apparently on this little island, the number of centenarians, people who live to and past the ripe old age of 100, has a per capita rate that's 10 times higher than the United States. 10 times higher. More people, more and more and more people live to and past the age of 100 on this little island 
off the coast of Italy. And she wanted to know how, and she wanted to know why. So she went there and studied it. And in 2017, she released her findings, did this really fascinating TED talk about it. But you know what she found? Like you would expect, it's like it's got something to do with climate and location. Or it has something to do with, and I've long posited this, that if all you do is drink red wine and eat cheese, you'll live forever. <laughs> That's my theory, I'm banking on that. That and Jesus. You think it has something to do with like the diet or the climate? She said, no, none of that. In fact, what she found probably allowed them to endure a diet that maybe is not as healthy as it could be. The, the thing that she found was relationships. On, on, this, on this island, there was this culture and this, this dynamic where people had a lot of robust in-person relationships. And by robust, what she meant is deeply engaged in one another's life, telling a lot of truth to one another, able to laugh deeply, speak boldly on a regular basis in front of each other and to enjoy each other in that way. And what she found is the more relationships like that you have, and these people on this island have a ton of them, the more relationships like that you have, the longer you live, the happier you live, and the healthier you live. It's almost as if we're designed for these kinds of relationships. You see, who is with you shapes how you journey. It does. And, and, and if you are sitting here and you're, you're convicted at all about the things that I'm saying, if you're saying I need some more people who know the Lord in my life, then I would say to you, heed that. Heed that sign. Take that warning. Start here. Just ask yourself the question that your parents used to ask you when you wanted to borrow the car. Who's riding with you? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you make us part of a life-giving, transformative community. But we admit that it's, it's hard for us to make space for people in our lives. Even people that we know are going to bring us blessing. You promise to be miraculously, divinely present through your people, but, but, but it's hard to reprioritize. It's, it's, it's hard to push maybe some unhealthy people to the side and put up some boundaries and to make space for healthier people who share our faith. But Lord, help us to do that and help us to believe that it will be worthwhile. We thank you that our future is secure, but we ask that you would help us to make the journey more joyful, more faithful by inviting more of your people into it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.